Welcome to Membership Voice. I'm Kira O'Shea, the coordinator of The Voice and the host for this evening's webinar. I'm delighted to have with me Tristan Coley from Rotary of Elizabeth Key. Tristan has a remarkable record in Rotary as a and Rotaract as a past Rotaract president, district Rotaract representative, board member from, from Perth Rotary, and of course, one of the founders of Rotary of Elizabeth Key the remarkable club for 25 to 40 year olds here in Perth that's that's really kicked goal after goal. Uh, at this stage, I'm delighted to hand over to uh, to Tristan. Cool, thanks, Caro. And uh, look, thanks, team. Thanks for taking it, and thanks for taking the opportunity to yeah allow this um conversation to occur. And yeah, very much privileged uh, yeah to have you um share some thoughts. So. I guess what I'll do for today is um, I'll share some very brief thoughts in relation to our topic, which is connecting people to volunteer opportunities. And um, I'll be centering most of the experience upon the experience thus far in Rotary of Elizabeth Key. Um, so the thoughts I'll share with you will probably be roughly about uh, 10 minutes or so. And that's basically a bit of a basic framework in terms of in terms of uh, my volunteer experience in connecting people's opportunities. And then very, very keen to hear some uh, questions from your end. Um, I have tried to get the video working on this laptop. Unfortunately, I'm using my personal laptop because uh, uh, my work laptop doesn't allow Zoom. Um, I've managed to get audio, but not the, uh, the video um, as yet. So forgive me for that one. So coming back to what I was sharing before, so leaders creating leaders. And the importance behind that is that as Rotary leaders, of course, again, when we look at volunteers who we want to connect to an opportunity, two schools of thought, number one, could they assist my critical need? And number two, could they also be a potential leader for that particular volunteering activity, a future volunteering activity, or even a volunteer role as a leader in my Rotary club? Okay, so there's effectively a few steps that I'll, I'll talk about. And number one is, okay, in the context of your Rotary Club, the first and most ideal thing is, okay, if you're in a position where you're a Rotary Club leader and you wanna be connecting people to opportunities, whether it be strategically, uh, looking at your next 12 months, or even just at any point in time, the first thing is to, first and most important thing is really to Assess, listen, and understand the interests of your people and your members. So when I go through this presentation, I'll actually make reference to some of the experiences that I've incurred in Rotary to provide a bit of an example and context. So listen and understand. So how can you do that? Number one is you can actually conduct a survey to engage your club's interests. There are many ways you can do that. You can do that online. You can ideally do that in a club setting where you engage with your people at a meeting forum where you can use design thinking or virtually what we did recently was via Mentee. And really you wanna get a feel and an understanding of what your members are interested in. Now, ideally, these opportunities should be more service focused. So from that setting, it's really a matter of working out what kind of opportunities you want to center on. So if we look at the first example, that online survey helped us identify that the majority interest we had was for food bank, which is basically a Vinnie's, ended up becoming a Vinnie's food drive opportunity. 
The second highest interest was uh, Come Cook With Me, which is something that Nick drove very well. And that's a philanthropic virtual cooking show. Now, that's one way of actually surveying interest. Another way, if you see, look at the middle panel, is a strategic planning session that we had, where basically we use that as an in-person opportunity to understand what our volunteers would be interested in. Now, the other way you can actually assess your people, your volunteers' interest, and this is particularly if you're in a board role or a president role, very, very critical is to actually have individual one-on-one -on -one relationships with your members, or at the very least to actually engage them, find out what they're motivated and what makes them tick. And with that in mind, if you're in a position where you can get at least two thirds, if not all of the interests of your volunteers, of your Rotarians, of your, that is the best way really to actually understand what you as a leader can do for your members. So for example, if they all seem to align on an interest in fundraising or align on an interest in getting hands-on and doing busy bees or whatnot, you can use that knowledge and think, okay, well, based upon my, based upon the majority interest of our members, we should then really focus upon a particular type of activity. The other thing is that when you actually have those conversations, you as a leader actually have built some rapport and some trust and some relationship with your member. So when you actually come up with an activity, that activity is going to be based upon something that ideally the majority have expressed some interest in. So you then become acting upon interest. So looking historically, the next step is show your people how, can, how it can be done. Now, this is actually a piece of advice that has worked through much trial and error. Once upon a time, Myself and I've seen a few other leaders basically put it out there and say, all right, club, come and tell us what you want to do and we'll support you. And you'll find that the crickets are chirping because you may have one or two zealous members put up their hand and actually say, look, I'm keen to drive this activity. But particularly if you're a new club or a club that is relatively new or you have a lot of busy members, you'll find that not many, if not any, person will actually put up their hand and volunteer to drive an activity. And that again comes down to also backed up by the fact it also comes down to the importance of understanding your club's interests. So the second action step is very important. So you as a leader ideally show your people how it can be done. And the reason why you do this is to actually demonstrate to your membership that hey, I will show you how you can actually start up a project or an activity and lead it, show how to lead it, show how to get people motivated around it, give them roles and responsibilities, execute it and show it can be done in order to inspire other members in your club to do the same. Now, when you actually pick and select your actual opportunities, ideally, again, these three activities here are based upon what your members are already interested in. So if you look at the first panel here, this is basically a, the Vinnie's food drive that was the most popular from the survey that was done before. That's one example. The middle example is engaging and volunteering with migrant refugees. That was something that our membership expressed interest in previously that was then driven. And the third is a Vinnie's house paint. And this was also done on the back of a similar survey activity that our members, our members had. Now, in these three cases, what occurred was like for the second and third panels you see here, 
these were opportunities that were executed that was conceived and executed around the earlier part of our of our clubs of our club's existence so it's quite critical at that time that when i was president during those times to actually drive those activities myself and to actually show the team that could be done and then to empower them later which i'll talk about in a bit later this first activity was actually done very recently so again as a, on the back of a survey and these are the two here volunteering with micro refugees and doing a vinnie's house paint for refuge centers for domestic violence victims in warwick those are two activities that i drove now the benefit behind driving driving volunteer activities is that ideally you have engaged the majority of your members secondarily ideally your members will actually bring on board friends or anyone who they think would enjoy that activity as well so it really becomes a bit of a a bit of a how should i say a bit of a tribal engagement so you basically put together a team of people who've already expressed interest in that opportunity they bring around any friends or colleagues who they feel might be interested and then we as a team then drive that activity the activity gets executed you have a lot of success you enjoy the outcomes you share the feedback on social media so they can see hey this is something that was done by this club by this team you get you gather around and you celebrate success and then you ideally want to do it again but when you do it again that's when you actually identify people who would be in a good position to actually drive the next activity themselves so this step step two you show the people you show your people that it can be done and then the next step is ideally you empower some of the stronger volunteers to actually go ahead and do it themselves when i say do it to actually drive success drive the activity themselves empower and encourage your people now in this third step right so you've already demonstrated that you as a leader of your club can actually successfully execute activities they see how it can be done successfully and then they do it themselves right now if you look closely here so this next activity the first one here we have more recently is a volunteer clothing donation with vinnie's and sterling the second is the next round of vinnie's house paint and the third is just by example a kate parker having driven a quiz act, uh, quiz activity so this is on the shack drove itself but i'll focus on these two panels here right so if we go back, you saw that Sean was an active participant for our Vinnie's food appeal. And what you don't see here is that we had uh, Kimberly Jones, who was a member of our club. She was an active participant in our Vinnie's program. So we saw potential in the both of them. Now, Sean, with a bit of encouragement, ended up actually driving this Vinnie's activity all by himself as a project lead. And that was conducted over the weekend. And that was successful. The second you see here is our Rotary Club doing another, another Vinnie's house paint. And that was, this one was actually driven by Kimberly, who you can't really see in this image, but she drove this one after I drove it initially. Both occasions were highly successful and very well acclaimed. And what, and the benefit behind this ride is that this, this is where you can actually, as a club, drive and identify a potential leadership succession plan so kim actually ended up becoming a board member and became a director of projects in our club and she's quite effective in that in that board leadership role 
So it was great to see how she made that transition from a participant of a volunteering activity to a project lead and then subsequently a board member. The third step is empower and encourage your people. And then importantly, you must recognize your people and celebrate success. So this is something that's quite, I guess, obvious, but which it can't be expressed enough that it's really important to ensure that your people are recognized, not only because it's important to make them feel valued as, as volunteers within your club, as volunteer leaders within your club, but to also show the other members of your club that you as a leader recognize their individual efforts, that the leadership team actually will support, recognize, and realize the efforts you put in. The majority of us in this room, I'm sure, have realized that, hey, when we actually do volunteering, about 85% of the work involves planning that no one really sees, right? So yeah, the recognition is very, very important. And to also at the end of the year or in the, at the end of the quarter, to actually give a bit of an idea of where your club is at as a, as a result of all the aggregate volunteering efforts so that the club widely, can widely see the contributions of every event, every project actually contributes to something quite significant as a whole. And that then comes down to the importance of recognizing, not only recognizing efforts, but also celebrating success as a team so that you, and so the club can actually be inspired knowing that, hey, as individuals and as a collective, we have made impact towards fighting domestic violence to enabling cancer research, to enabling, enabling volunteering hours that go towards a greater good. So yeah, four-step process really is about number one, listening, understanding your people's interests, building that relationship. Number two, leading by example, showing your team how it can be. Thirdly, empowering and encouraging your people to take opportunity, to give them focus, to give them inspiration, motivation, to drive activities themselves. And fourthly and importantly, to recognize their achievements, to recognize their, their work. And in doing so, you can actually turn volunteers into leaders and then create more leaders and help sustain your own club. Now, that's a relatively quick rundown in terms of how to connect leaders to opportunities to help sustain your activities and your club. Yeah, so I might actually open for any particular questions now uh, from yourself, Kara, or yeah, those listening. I do have some questions here for you. Uh, Tristan? Yes, certainly. Uh, volunteering. Now, volunteering continues to evolve. It's not like it was in the old days. I mean, we have a number of different models um, about the place. How would Rotary of Elizabeth Key cater for, say, sessional volunteers or other types of volunteers, say, beyond the, uh, beyond the traditional membership model? How, how, would you, how would you see REC catering for those other types of volunteers? Okay, so sessional volunteers. So we're thinking about how do we attract volunteers during the Rotary year, uh, those who have, may not be a member or may not be actively engaged. Um, okay, so it's a good question. So in terms of engaging outside volunteers, so I think, I think one example, so there's probably two examples that spring to mind, and I'll, I'll talk about the tactics around that. So one has been tree planting, uh, and that was done, I think, in early 2018. The second, um, I think more recently, was our actual Vinny's Food Appeal. And the volunteer that was involved there was basically 
um, gathering food from those who you think may be willing to donate food to the, the food appeal. Now, the best ways we found there were probably two things, and they're both traditional and uh, not so traditional. Number one is basically word of mouth and a lot of work involved in actually spreading that word. So for the tree planting, well, my recollection is that uh, we've got our volunteers uh, to actually engage their wider public amongst their own networks, family and friends to really just say, hey, um, we're going to be doing tree planting in Claysbrook. And yeah, all you've got to do is basically register your interest online and come join us. Everything will be supplied, plug and play. And um, word of mouth really is probably the, the best way for an activity like that. And that's traditional. And that's still probably the best way to really uh, organically engage volunteers. Um, now, the second and what I found to be probably also quite effective digitally, particularly in a COVID era, is guerrilla marketing. And I use that phrase because that's something I learned from Nick Lim's team and um, Alina's team, who Alina lives on the line, was involved. And that guerrilla marketing basically means targeted engagement of your potential volunteer groups. So the scenario was in Leaderville in Leaderville in May, we are trying to assemble a large amount of non-perishable food to be put into a van. There was a two, three week lead up to that where we actually as a team got together and um, divided and conquered which demographics we'd engage. So when I say guerrilla marketing, we actually um, took a piece of uh, various demographics who we, who we think would be willing to donate food. Um, so amongst, amongst all of us, we actually looked at particular Facebook groups to work out, all right, who'd be willing to donate food. And the result of that was basically really anybody within the metropolitan area. So what we did was basically work out, okay, amongst our team, who actually had engagement within various demographics. So what we did was um, work out amongst that list, we looked at different communities by geography. So amongst all of us, we worked out our various geographies include the areas of Bassendine, Mount Lawley, Mundaring, Cavisham, uh, the Catholic school community because Vinnie's was a Catholic organization and then also other groups within the Leaderville area. So we actually hit up a lot of closed Facebook groups. Um, we hit up other Rotaract clubs, other Rotary clubs. So really just uh, segmenting our potential target audience and then directly engaging them with messages in the actual group feed to share the event and be clear about what we wanted from them. We want anyone who can donate non-perishable food. And the result was we actually got about 60 two cars worth of food donated uh, by a very wide array of, uh, of volunteers. So I guess, yeah, number one is word of mouth. And number two is guerrilla marketing by being very clear about who your ideal audience is and then segmenting it up. Hmm. Thank you, Tristan. A question from Elena. Yep. Uh, you mentioned earlier on that uh, people won't put their hands up to drive an activity because of time constraints. How do you, even if they're interested, how do you turn that interest into action? Because yep. there's, oftentimes there's a lot of interest, but get turning that into doing is can be a bit tricky. Yeah, look, that's a, that's a really good question, right? And um, okay, so I'll, I'll share with you again. I'm going to share with you my philosophy, but it's not going. To, it's not a matter of you know this is the right way, um, but something that I found to be to be quite uh, effective and effective in the past and, and now. 
when someone says that they're not in, they're not have the time or the interest, right? So there's two scenarios. Number one, they could quite likely be very honest with you and saying, "Look, I have the interest, but I simply don't have the time because of my current priorities." And that's that's perfectly fine. Um, what you do in that instance is just identify. Okay, so understanding you're pretty time poor. Um, given what is needed for this activity or given what is needed for other activities that you as a leader may have in mind, identify what they may be willing to do or able to do with that very limited bandwidth. And a classic example is um, of one of our team, one of our members of our club, um, she works FIFO, but she has a lot of, she has strong interest in helping out. What she's able to do, and she's been up front with me, is look, I can't lead this event. I can't drive in activities. What I can do is I can help you with social media marketing. I can drive Instagram and I can share the, uh, your activities amongst my volunteers. Now, this is the third time she's actually volunteered. Now, she's straight up again, uh, committed to doing everything Instagram, everything social media, but not actually help out um, before or during the event. And that's perfectly fine. So the, the one scenario is, okay, identifying what they're able to do based upon their time limitations, tell you what they're able to do and utilize that capability, make that fit. Your second scenario is probably something that actually may be a bit more powerful if you're willing to have that conversation is they may, for whatever reason, you know, not being entirely honest with you because it's the easiest way they can say, look, I'm not, I, I can't help out. What you can do in that instance, and this comes back to your first step of understanding what your volunteers want and are willing to do and what, what, they're, really, what they're really motivated by, is to actually have a deep, actually enable yourself to have a, a deep and meaningful with them. That may be a one-on-one -on -one coffee or whatever it may be, but to actually find out what their real, real life motivations are. What are their goals for the year? What's really inspiring them right now? What are their challenges? And from there, really deep and meaningfully identifying where you can align their actual priorities and motivators in life and aligning that into potential opportunities you may have right now or in future with your club. And it may not be with your club, maybe with another club, but at least you're turning that interest into some kind of action. And that takes a bit more effort, a bit more work, but that can actually be a really powerful conversation that can really get to the nuts and bolts of what really motivating that volunteer, particularly if you feel they're high value and turn them into something more, uh, more valuable within your club. So first one, yeah, our first answer is, yeah, leveraging the time they have available to uh, do your activity or club. And the second is having a deep and meaningful to find out what their real motivators are and then really leveraging that information to um, take use of their motivations activities. So take, take use of their motivations and their capabilities, sorry. Thank you, Tristan. Building on that, building on that, I mean, when I, when I looked at your CV prior to the, to the webinar, and I appreciated, here's a guy who's got a really, really busy job in your profession as an, as an executive headhunter. You have multiple interests in terms of firefighting, with church, with St Vinnie's and, and the like. And yet you've put in this remarkable, this remarkable contribution to Rotaract and more recently Rotary, including the, the, the foundation formation of uh, Rotary of Elizabeth Key. So here's a, a personal question, 
how do you do it? How do you find time to do that? Yeah, I, I get this I guess question a fair bit. And moments like this, I really wish the video was working on my laptop because I try to be more, I guess, more animated in, in my in my thoughts. And look, um, okay, look straight up for me. And again, this works. This, this is me, and I'm not sure if I'm, not, I'm sure everyone else has their own different drivers. But um, look, personally speaking, myself and a few other a few other um colleagues I work with in this field, like we we live. And okay, again, this works for me, right? So I live by life by a code and I've got a colleague who does the same thing in the, um, in the Catholic circles. And he also does it in a very similar way is we have a code and that code kind of determines how we actually live and operate and how we're motivated. Right. So there's three steps in that code. The first thing is your belief system, you know, what really propels you. So, you know, I'm, I'm motivated and, and propelled by my Catholic faith because quite simply my Catholic faith tells me that we're all called to become saints, which basically means that, there is something deep and meaningful within us that propels us to make the world a better place. Um, number two is our traditions. So when Bobby and I, my wife, we got together, we've actually met through Rotary and um, traditions for us was basically when we actually got married, we made a vow and those vows actually included us supporting each other and made that as simple as, okay, um, two nights a week, I can do Rotary or volunteer meetings and maybe Saturdays a month. And then for her, it's basically I support her for all her, all her business goals. So I guess that partnership allows and enables the both of us to really do service work for me and to really support Bobby's uh, goals uh, from a business perspective. And the third thing is like every year we have like, you know, what are our goals for the year? And she and I both have this invisible vision board and uh, we catch up a couple of times a year just to revisit that vision board. And the goals we set for the year kind of like, you know, help motivate and support each other to yeah, really deliver my rotary goals and deliver her business goals. We visit how we're going. So she becomes more motivated to help me out when she realized, Oh yeah, I'm trying to you know pull off this particular say fundraising amount for this quarter or whatever it is and uh, helps me out in that sense. So yeah, I guess it comes down to the, yeah, having a bit of a code, um, you know, what propels you from your belief system, what kind of traditions or agreements you have with your partner, and thirdly, look, understand goals you have for the year, making that transparent with your partner so he or she is aware of what you're trying to achieve and a bit more motivated to help you out when, you know, I'm having a bit of a rough rut with a particular project and she knows it's important to one of the goals that I shared with her um, earlier on. So, yeah, that, that works for me. Um, I'm sure others have uh, different ways of doing which I'm quite keen to hear at the appropriate time. But, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that helps. Right. Have a code, be focused, make sure it's a team game at home as, as correct as it is at work yep. in, the, in the club. Yep. And, it's, and it works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Team, it's team effort everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah, but it's a team effort. But I think picking up on your previous answer, it's a team effort where you treat people as individuals. Yeah, the absolutely. It's, it's very much a matter like, the thing is like our most valuable commodity, and I hate using the word commodity, but it, it is what it is, 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 is our people. And people use it as a catchphrase. But um, I think it was Columbus who said that there's no human progress, um, no human progress was ever consensual. And to get that consent, to get that consent, you've got to form strong partnerships with each and every one of your people. And I know one thing is talk about volunteering opportunities, but another thing is all about it's also sustaining a team, which I know is a bit digressing from this topic, but you'll find that it's 
once you actually have good relations, relationships and mutual understanding and respect with your volunteers, with your members, you'll find that when it comes to implementing any kind of change or weathering whatever storms, it's a lot easier because with that trust, with that relationship, you also get a loyalty to yourself as a leader that you'll find to be quite helpful in good times and also during difficult times as well. And when you get that loyalty from your members, you'll find that not many people will say no to you when after spending a few years of working and volunteering together, you'll find that it's harder for people to say no to you when you actually need their help for volunteering activities because you've taken the time to build that relationship with them. You care about them. You celebrate their achievements, their birthday. You wish them happy birthday on Facebook. You tag them in appropriate memes of humor that you may have occurred in the past. You like their posts on, you like their Instagram feeds you actually demonstrate some concern for their welfare as a person. And then when you need their help to run an activity, uh, you'll find that they're actually quite often willing to, to help out. And I guess a testimony to that is like with REC and even with the current and prior projects you would have seen, a lot of the faces you see are regular faces or all faces that we, I, would, I would have come across in, in Rotaract. And that's because like I said, that philosophy works for me. You build that relationship over time, you build trust, you have a friendship you build that loyalty so we need their help to start up a club like people like um my colleagues like dragon like jackie lee um like danny they were actually quite willing to help out get involved in projects get involved in the club leadership team because they knew that they had a we know we had a degree of loyalty we actually have no real friendships in common before rotary but because of that real people interest uh, that i had in them as person as people and eventually as friends it made it a lot easier to actually get them involved in activities and in projects and yeah, in, uh, in leadership opportunities that carry risk. So yeah, very much a, a team effort underpinned by trust, loyalty and yeah, friendship. Thank, thank you, Tristan. A question to do with, to do with where to from now, uh, from here. Rick has had a, a great success story over the, I think three and a half years that uh, the yeah, Rotary of Elizabeth Key has been has been running. Where do you see Rotary of Elizabeth Key going with volunteering from here? Given that given the changes we're seeing in, in society and the like, where do you see it going? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, firstly, that that's probably a bit more of a our current president Nick Lim question. Um, but but um, from what I've gathered from conversations I've had with him. And they've been pretty exciting ones is um, I guess two things spring to mind is, and he would have shared, he'd shared this at our recent changeover is um, a new, a new way of working. And the feeling I'm getting from that is um, um, our club operating a bit more as a, as a tribe. Um, and I think that's a, that's one thing, which I think is pretty cool. And the second thing is, um, continuing to leverage technology, particularly digital technology, uh, to help enable projects. So the first one, to my understanding, works along the, side, along the lines of um, sustainability and relationship building. So my understanding is that every board member in the club um, has a group of team members to look after and uh, build a rapport and a, a relationship with, which I think is a very good idea in terms of uh, building camaraderie, building friendships, and also, um, yeah, have a safe space to share ideas and perpetuate ideas. 
And um, I think it's a really w- good way of thinking um, because I guess as a club, as a board, it's hard to sort of really keep in touch with your members um, depending upon what activities you have going. But um, the model he's got going is having our club uh, split up into smaller groups, um, overseen or coordinated by a board member to really have a finger on the pulse, build his relationships to enable ideas and to share opportunities. Um, and secondly is, uh, yeah, using, I guess, our I guess our digital expertise, but also, again, using the skills in our club to help uh, digitally leverage activities. So I think it's still quite relevant in a, in a COVID era, and I think we're evolving from that. Um, if, you look in the, if you look historically, um, in a lockdown state, we had uh, Come Cook With Me, which was a purely virtual event. We also recently had um, a virtual Auslan uh, language training session that was also digital. And that worked out quite well. We simply partnered with a existing provider. And again, both activities were based upon a survey that was run. So we had some good engagement for both. Um, moving into the future, I think we're sort of getting out, getting into um, a safer place. So what you'll see advertised this week will be a virtual and in-person Pilates to raise funds for Staric, which fights domestic violence. And that is going to be our first both digital and in-person volunteer or digital and in-person activity. So I think we're going to see a lot more of those uh, virtual and non-virtual combination activities uh, into the future. Um, that, that's my feel for yeah, what, to, what to see from REC moving, moving forward from here. Um, yeah. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you, Tristan. A question from Lynn. Bearing in mind that Lynn is pioneering a, a new contemporary, a, a new and different Rotary Club in, uh, on the north, north side of Melbourne, um, this, this is an interesting, but there's, there's a commonality here. Mm-hmm. What communication tools have you found most effective in engaging with time poor demographics? Ah, oh, cool, cool. Okay. This is something that I've actually become a bit more of a fan of um, because as much as I love technology, I used to be and still am to an extent quite traditional, yeah? Um, now, once upon a time, for me, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger would have been very sufficient and you tie that against uh, storage tools like Dropbox and Google Drive. And they're very, very linear communication tools and um, they've, they've been effective traditionally um, but look, I guess moving into, and that's probably one, um, some tools I recommend uh, for time poor demographics. To utilize Facebook Messenger, uh, to share docs, to have communications and WhatsApp as well. And that's probably at, um, at a basic level and a very accessible level as well. Because you'll find that, the major, you'll find that um, well, I found probably about over 70% of uh, volunteers I've engaged with have either WhatsApp and or Facebook Messenger. Um, but... What I guess to, to as a step change to add onto that, if you want to um, leverage, if you want to leverage our technology and be more efficient and to make things actually easier, if you're willing to learn, are tools particularly like Trello and Slack. So Slack, I've seen work well both within our club. I've also seen Slack work well with a bunch of with um a cohort of 15 to 17 year olds who were in my leadership academy for a different project I run. And they actually suggested Slack and they actually ran it quite well. So Slack actually allows different channels of conversation to occur and different threads to stem from that. And it makes for very, very efficient conversations about project matters, about um, core leadership group matters, et cetera. 
Um, now, Trello is probably going to be, I'd say, hands down, has been the most effective way of managing a project, uh, whether it be small-scale uh, events or large-scale, um, massive catwalk for a cause level, major fashion parade, high-risk events. And the way that is beneficial is that Trello allows you to do basic things such as, okay, if you think about your, your basic event, your core things are marketing, ticket sales, logistics, um, health and safety, um, operational volunteering. And then you're able to actually put all those, all those um, subject areas onto an actual platform and basically delegate people and tasks and follow-ups. Um, so yeah, Trello is probably, if you Google it and actually uh, have a look at some demos, um, Trello I'd find is like the way of the future. Um, in hindsight, if I had Trello for some of my previous projects, uh, I, I suspect life would be a lot easier. But the best thing about Trello is that your ability to actually reheat and serve projects. Um, if you look at the models you run previously, if you want to do that event over and over again, you've instantly got a legacy and a knowledge base of materials and resources that you can revert back to. So if your people are time poor, they can't be bothered meeting. It actually helps reduce your meeting time as well because you have all that stuff that you, all those are actions you simply need to follow up on. So yeah, hopefully that helps uh, the end. Thanks Tristan. I think that's almost a, a topic in its own right. So yeah, definitely. We might need to do some more work on that one. Anyways, so but thank you for that. This next one is a question that's uh, really probably of no interest to anyone, but I'll put it to you anyway. How does Rotary of Elizabeth Key attract new members? Yeah, okay. So I'm gonna go from I'm gonna go from the historical data that I've seen and I'm gonna and while I'm upon reflection it actually is quite similar, if not the same, to what we're experiencing right now. Okay, um, the majority of our members uh, historically and currently have come from number one is word of mouth. Number two is attendance at our projects. And number three is attendance at some of our events, events being speaker events or regular club meetings. And the fourth, which has been a small, but still a quite a sizable chunk has been seeing our content online. And when I say online, that includes Facebook and Googling Rotary Club in Perth and they come across us. So yeah, so um, word of mouth, involvement in our projects, attendance at our meetings, and then our digital footprint. Um, that's, that's in order, that's probably been, uh, been our, uh, yeah, how we've uh, attracted members. Um, but, 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 but. Yeah, so yeah, hopefully that, that helps in that sense. Thank you, yeah. thank you, it does. Looking at, yeah, yeah. looking at the, this, this history of philanthropy and the like, how important in, in terms of maintaining the team, how important, and perhaps also attracting new members, how important is the why of Rotary of Elizabeth Key? I mean, we've, we see the what, we see the things you do. How important is, is the underlying philosophy of why you do it? Yeah, that's a, that's a, very, that's a very good question. And that, that really comes back to sustainability. Okay, so look, um, so my take on it is that there's, um, the why question comes down to 
the type of member that you have in mind that you want to attract and retain. Your first type is your longer term sustainable leader type. And the why for them is critical in the sense that, okay, I have a deeper, I have a deeper reason. And that deeper reason is that I believe Rotary is something that's bigger and is an enabler of a, a deeper cause. And that normally cause only comes down to making the world a better place or I believe in Rotary. So if I think about some of the more longer term strong, not sorry, when I think about some of the longer term leaders, like for example, like um, in my mind, in no particular order and, and of no rank is like um, Melissa Pilkington. If I think about Melissa Dorr from our own club, if I think about um, Wesley Sim or President Steve from Rotary of Perth, like, I personally know these people and I know that they have believed in the, their belief in the rotary cause and their role in rotary has been underpinned by something a lot deeper, a lot more powerful. And that, and as a result, if you look at their digital footprint, you'll find that they've been doing what they're doing, their leadership role in rotary in some way or form for a long period of time. And it's, and that, and that why question allows you to identify future leaders. The second why question is, hey, look, um, it comes down to people who are relatively new or newish. Um, and that is, oh, yeah, I'm looking for something hands-on to do for this weekend. Or, look, I want to get hands-on, don't know how or what, but, yeah, happy to help out. And those types of people you'll find may not necessarily be, may not necessarily at that point in time be leadership material. Um, they may not have actually revealed to you all their intentions. But those people who are basically willing to give it a go uh, tend to be that, that why question tends to link you to resources or people for your immediate or midterm volunteer activities. Um, but that being said, the why, the why question leads to, you know, I believe in something bigger uh, can also certainly link to people who are also willing to volunteer for activities. So I guess the, the, the big why is, you know, I believe in something bigger. People like that can help perpetuate your leadership team. Uh, the smaller why, I'm as willing to help out, and that can still critically help enable your current and future volunteer activities. Thanks, Tristan. Thanks, thank, thank you. Cool. If we, looking at some of these, these projects, you've touched on how you've shaped volunteering opportunities for people who to match their skills and, and to um, to fit in with their with their commitments and available time. How would you have gone about, or how would REC have gone about things like getting specialist skills for projects like Come Cook With Me, your, your runaway success story, uh, a cooking show? Obviously, there are some skills there that uh, aren't run of the mill. Uh, mm -hmm. So how did, how, did, how did the club manage that? My yeah, so how the club, okay, enabled projects like these. Okay, so to my understanding, um, we actually had to learn for ourselves. And, to, and from, what I, from what I saw, um, there were two major skill sets uh, that were critical to their success. And uh, look, remarkably, we've actually got Elena Marwan, who's actually on, on the call now, and she was actually involved in the second, in one of the, in that project, but also, uh, involved in one of the two core skills, right? The first one was audio. Well, basically, I'm going I'm to call it audio-visual, and that basically connects the audience to the actual event itself. And that is probably the highest risk and a gargantuan undertaking in terms of making sure that um, 
the video cameras, the actual bandwidth, the actual software involved in enabling the signal to be shared amongst X number of users. That was, that's a major skill that uh, had to be effectively uh, both self-taught as well as leveraging the existing skills. So we had team members like, uh, like Dean, Nick, Melissa, and then less, and then lately Eshwan, um, who actually got involved, used their wisdom to learn on the spot how to create a good feed. Uh, the second uh, was all about the the gorilla marketing, actually engaging with our various demographics, right? So, um, so Elena was quite critical to that, uh, from what I saw, and I actually learned from her skills and her practices, and apply the same skills to the more recent Vinny's uh, food drive in terms of uh, connecting uh, participants to activities. So. Yeah, those two skills, audiovisual, guerrilla marketing, um, I believe, yeah, from both of them uh, was a mixture of leveraging knowledge you already had. And I understand that Elena actually had a bit of a marketing background herself. And that was a really welcome addition of skills to that project team uh, to enable success. I look straight up. I know that um, there's still um, uh, always uh, things to, to learn and to improve upon. Um, but yeah, I guess the fun thing about Rotary is that, you know, we've got these opportunities to enable positive change and we certainly um, learn on the way uh, out of necessity and then learn from each other and apply those skills to different projects. So fun and learning are, are a really important part of the of the REC success story. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think look, fun's always going to be a byproduct of what we do, but ideally, ideally it really should be something on the forefront in terms of, you know, you get involved with us. You're going to have good banter. You're going to build good relationships. Have and of course, yeah, and have fun uh, as a result. Yeah, and and definitely look. I mean, um, learning. I think, and this takes a bit of a side conversation, but learning new stuff. I know, like for um, for myself, have learned tremendous new things. Like if I hadn't been involved in Rec or Rotary, I wouldn't have learned things such as leveraging project management tools like uh, like Trello, like Slack learning how to manage conflict, learning how to build relationships and project manage uh, through REC. Um, I wouldn't have had some of the friendships or experienced some of the fun through activities like the John Curtin uh, community service activities, nor build relationships and get mentoring support, build mentors such as yourself, Caro, or Alison Dalziel, who I've, who I've uh, learned tremendously from down the track. And even like, I mean, um, and even like, James is on the line. Like he was VP when I kicked off. I was one of the founders of the club. And um, yeah, let's be off. I mean, like being upfront, some of the skills and lessons about um, things such as uh, diplomacy, problem solving, like, you know, this is stuff that you learn via virtue of the relationships within, within Rotary itself. So without REC, I would have learned these, may, have, may or may not have learned these skills at all. And I think the learning journey in terms of hard and soft skills is something that I think Rotary needs to, or can and should market more when we're actually advocating membership. How do we go about better club collaboration and courage with double up events? Uh, okay, um, that's a good question from Clem. So how do we go about better club collaboration and, oh, thanks, Lenny. Encouraging those double events. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, Clem's brought up a very, very good question about reducing double up and double up does occur. It's complementary, but it can also, um, defeat purpose. Right. So this is a bit more of an organizational question and, um, and I'll, I'll share with you my thoughts. And I think the structure still exists. So the, this comes down to the importance of uh, a president ensuring they have good representation on their various zone committee. 
And I'm pretty sure the structure is still in place. So zone committee is run by assistant governors and um, those weeklies to my knowledge still occur monthly. It's really important that you ensure that at a district level, uh, your club president or his or her delegate shares everything that's going on in the club. Um, because if they do that correctly, uh, you know what kind of pipeline of events that every other club is doing and reduce clash. And that reduces clash, but also enables collaboration because again, um, each, other, each and every other club should really be encouraging each other's activities. It not only makes for good collaboration, but also allows um, digital content to be shared and promulgated from your Facebook and your LinkedIn. But also, again, if you're a leader of a club and you come across a potential volunteer and, and you want to, and you find out what they're interested in, what motivates them, you know, quite honestly, off the bat, these are opportunities that could be of interest to you in my club, but as well as other clubs. And that again, enables collaboration. So a good way to do it is to work, to work with your assistant governor and, you, and the, other, the other clubs in your zone or group or whatever it's called locally, uh, yep, to make correct. sure that you get best effort rather than, rather than just acting alone as, uh, as an individual club. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. To make sure, yeah, correct. Yeah, to leverage, to utilize these, um, these uh, zone or group meetings to see what every other club's doing um, so you can share your opportunities and they can all collaborate with you. And um, how can you get onto these meetings? So your, every respective Rotary Club should have uh, an existing seat at that table. So yeah, you can simply, should be able to ask your, your president or ask your assistant governor, look, how can I get involved in these meetings? And you should be able to attend um, as a delegate from your club, or at least um, I'm sure your AG will give you some kind of job or at least yeah, give you the opportunity to actually get involved um, in those monthly meetings. Perhaps just in a nutshell, if you were, say, to offer, say, say one lot of, of sage-like advice about enabling and motivating young volunteers, what would, in a nutshell, what would that be? Or in summary, what would that be? Okay, so in summary, motivating volunteers um, and young people. Okay, so the most important thing would be to listen and understand what motivates them um, as deeply as possible. What are you motivated? What are you interested in right now? And what are your life goals? And then being able to being able to connect those motivations and aspirations to an appropriate opportunity in your Rotary Club, or if not your club, another club, based upon what your what your potential member is interested. So it's listening, understanding, and then connecting uh, that interest into the appropriate part of your club. And if not your club, uh, someone else's club or another another organization. Because the thing is like, you know, if someone's more better suited for a different Rotary organization, then at least you're leveraging that talent. Because to me, Rotary is the perfect intersection between potential talent and service opportunity. So we may not actually execute any of the works, but at least we act as a conduit to connect people to active organizations like Path of Hope or to connect them to Food Bank or to connect them to Vinnie's or, or whatever it may be. So yeah, listening to people, finding what they're interested in and connecting the right opportunity. It not only it not only allows you to have a good connection of talent and opportunity, but also helps you build a relationship and subsequently loyalty that you can leverage that can be utilized uh, later on down the track. 
So at this stage, Tristan, I'd just like to say thank you for a, for a job well done. Let's have a round of applause for Tristan. Yay, come on. Yay. <laughs> Great work there, mate.